Last Sunday night, when uh, we were round at the Evangelical Free Church, I quoted from uh, Rabbi Burns' Selkirk Grace. In preparation for tonight, um, for some strange reason, I am again drawn to that same 18th century Scottish poet um, who spent some time in Dumfries, the town that I was born in. Um, his poem, To a Mouse, references a wee, slicket, cowering, timorous beastie. A mouse. An animal whose freshly prepared winter home he had smashed up while he was out with a plough in a field in the late autumn. And it contains... A famous line The best laid schemes o' mice and men Gang oft awry uh, That's a line that I come to a number of times And it's a line that's known well uh, It's quoted, sometimes misquoted And of course gave the title of a 1937 John Steinbeck novel Um which I had to study um, when I was doing my O grade when I was 16. And I never got to grips with it, really. Steinbeck was not my thing. The plans of the priests and the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin have throughout the Gospel of John often gone awry they've made their plans but they've not worked out in chapter 7 at the feast of the tabernacles after the crowd whispered about Jesus perhaps being the Messiah the Pharisees had sent the temple guards to arrest him but the guards failed to act they failed to act because they heard with their own ears the authority by which he had spoken. No one speaks like that, was their opinion. So in response, the authorities tried to trick him into making judgment on a woman accused of adultery. But he writes in the sand... And gradually they, one by one, disperse until no one is left there. Perhaps they recognised their own sins before they departed. Then at the end of chapter 8, they accuse him of being demon-possessed and try to stone him within the temple grounds. But he slips away. And he slips away again in chapter 10 as the people pick up stones at the festival of dedication. Each plot, each plan that is made to arrest or to kill the Lord falls away. It's not the time, it's not the place, it's not the moment. 
that is God's moment. And all the time, as they form these plans, as they plot, more and more people are coming to an understanding that this teacher and prophet who conducts amazing signs of wonder, marvellous miracles, might indeed perhaps must be the Messiah. But the Sanhedrin don't see that. What greater sign of the presence of God's Holy Spirit dwelling within Jesus could there be than the news that he has called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead after four days? The mourning of a community the tears that were being shed turns to rejoicing. And of course we know that that rejoicing, that hope that they see in Lazarus coming out gives us a foretaste of the resurrection that we will be marking in two weeks' time. It's that message of great hope. That Jesus can bring life. Yet even at this moment, as people give their testimony about the events that have taken place in Bethany, as people go to the Pharisees and say, you'll never guess what happened. You won't believe it. It's so amazing. The Pharisees and the rest of the Sanhedrin fail to get it. They think not of what God is doing, but think of themselves. They see their fragility and they put their trust in the positions of power that they already hold. The Romans will come and take away both our place, that's the temple, and our nation, they say. The authority of the Sanhedrin rested upon the Romans. It rested fully upon them. The, the occupying uh, force um, put into place the Sanhedrin and gave it the authority to govern. And it had that authority to govern because it kept the peace and had the public's approval. We might equate that system with our, something of our own kind of unwritten constitution. An individual is given authority not simply by the electorate, but by the Queen to become Prime Minister. And they govern on the basis of that individual's ability to command a majority in the House of Commons. A majority the other leaders do not have. 
But if they lose the confidence of the house, if they lose that ability, then there has to be a change of government. The Sanhedrin were worried not so much about the Romans destroying the temple. Something that does happen in about another 40 years time. But they're worried about the temple being taken from them. About them being evicted from it. And Jesus being placed in the position of religious power. Making him the high priest. We recognise him as our high priest. Paul writes that way. In letters, he is at the Father's side interceding in the place of a priest. But that was their fear that he would be an earthly high priest. <coughs> because that position, that granting of authority to who the high priest was was something within the Roman power. And that's why John points to Caiaphas being the priest that year. He was that year and a year or two either side. He's that high priest for a period of time, but it's not a one-year appointment. A bit like moderator of General Assembly for the United Reformed Church. Somebody elected, spends their year and then leaves office. This was a role for as long as it kept the government happy. And prior to Caiaphas, when there had been other governors, it had been a post with a bit of a revolving door. High priests had been appointed and they soon left office because they didn't keep the Romans happy. Caiaphas doesn't want that. He wants to stay in power. And so he doesn't want to upset the Roman apple cart. I wonder, are we people who keep our heads down? Are we people who seek to maintain our different positions or are we people who speak out on matters of truth and justice matters of what is right in God's eyes if we were in a workplace either in the past or maybe even in the present where there was wrongdoing would we challenge that even if it were our managers, even if it was our job on the line, what would God expect of us? And what does God expect of a high priest? Caiaphas has a plan. It actually seems to sound rather like what has already been tried numerous times 
Let's arrest Jesus. They've been there, they've tried that. But this time it will be different. The order's gone out quite wide. They're not waiting until Jesus is about and saying things. They're planning in advance. And as things unfold, we see they're not doing it in their own strength. As the Sanhedrin and the temple staff, the temple guard, they're going to be involving the Romans. Let the Romans have a bit of the blood on their hands. Let's see how they can execute the operation. The plan is that it's better for Jesus to be done away with than for Caiaphas and his friends to lose their position of power, to lose the temple, and to lose the right to religiously govern the nation. What Caiaphas doesn't understand even as he speaks the words, is that his plan, in how he describes it, is actually part of God's plan. God's means of saving people from sin. Better that one man, the Son of God, takes the weight of sin upon his shoulders and dies upon the cross then the people of the nation and of every nation suffer the punishment of sin that is death through separation from God. Through one man's death, there can be life. The word was out. Jesus was a wanted man. Well, nothing new there, is there? We thought of that this morning. We thought of that with the thoughts of Thomas as Jesus led his disciples back to Judea. Well, from Judea, they head to Ephraim, 18 miles from the holy city, closer than they had been, closer than the call to come and see the sick Lazarus. And it's handy that they're there because it's nearly time for the Passover. From Ephraim, he will journey to Jerusalem, where a hero's welcome awaits. The people are expecting him. The people are expecting him. They long to praise him, to see and to hear what he might do. And they will experience, at least some of them, an even greater event than Lazarus coming back to life. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. But God's plan for our salvation, that will succeed. Do we play a part of it, taking that message 
onwards and outwards. The crowds that had seen Lazarus raised went and spread the news, some to the Pharisees, some to the general population. Do we take the news of Jesus rising and share it as fully as we can?